Welcome to In the Landscape, a podcast on all things landscape design and care related with your hosts, Kate and Charles Sadler. And we're here for another episode of In the Landscape. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to us. We're really grateful for all our listeners around the world, and we're excited to be here. I'm your host, Kate Sadler, and I'm here in studio with our co-host, Charles Sadler. Hello. Hi, Charles. Charles has been busy, so we're going to get caught up on some of his activities this last week. And uh, today is sort of a travel episode. We're going to be talking about Chicago. And this will be a part of our Garden City series. I did look up to see if there is a city called the Garden City. All I could find was Savannah, Georgia. (laughs) That's Um, a great place. (laughs) Wikipedia lists another nickname for Savannah. So any Savannah listeners out there, if you happen to know for sure, if Garden City is your city's nickname, share it with us. But we're talking about cities in general that have gorgeous gardens to visit and great kind of landscape themed things to do. We're always interested in hearing from our listeners if there's a city you'd like us to feature or a park that we didn't mention as a part of this episode that you think folks visiting your city should go check out. Please let us know. We're going to start with what you've been doing this last week, Charles. We have a little bit of an allergy situation happening here in Texas. (laughs) Actually, I would say it's a big allergy situation. So you may hear those obvious edits in the soundtrack (laughs) that that we're lucky we can take advantage of here making a podcast, which is a little different from being on a live radio show, just to segue into our topic, which was something you had a chance to do this week. Charles, what was that about? Oh, right. That was a great opportunity. Carl Moulter, he and another uh, colleague, they have a program out of the general Philadelphia area, Into the Garden. It's a radio program that we had a great conversation. There was um, a nursery owner that we also chatted with Bellflower Nursery. We've talked all about boxwood. <laughs> That's great. Yes, boxwood, obviously, gorgeous plant. We've talked about it quite a bit. Requires a certain amount of maintenance at the moment just because there are some biosecurity concerns and the shaping and pruning of it is a big part of our practice. Oh, you know, there's an innovation that I came across. I was looking at, I think, American Boxwood Symposium. The Saunders Brothers out of Virginia, they have a new hybrid boxwood they've been working on for maybe a decade or more called, I think it's called Next Gen. Mm. And then there's different sizes of that. So that's going to be, they've worked very closely with Land Grant University, North Carolina in particular, to get, to develop something that's boxwood blight tolerant and tolerant of other pests. And because it, it's a plant that's a staple, it'd be hard to do. It'd be like not eating bread if you're used to eating bread. <laughs> well, and uh, you will be giving a talk at the American Boxwood Society Symposium next spring. Uh, we're mm-hmm. still working out the details. Could be subject to change, but we'll we'll go ahead and promote that a little more right. as that date approaches. And I believe the Saunders brothers are going to be there as well presenting on this new Boxwood. So right. It's wonderful because once you become a part of a community of enthusiasts, there's <laughs> layers and layers to what you can promote. We'll just mention that Carl Moulter and his radio program is Into the Garden. That's on WDVRFM 89.7. If if you are listening to us from the sort of like Southern New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania Philadelphia. Philadelphia region. My older sister used to live there. So I'm picturing cities as I'm mm-hmm. trying to say it. It's the Delaware River Valley, I believe. That's yeah. where this one nursery is. It's, gorgeous it's very pretty. Yeah. Loved that area. We'll go ahead and post a link to that on our show notes, which you can find on our webpage, kinggardeninc.com forward slash in dash the dash landscape. 
all of our show notes are there. We try to provide detailed links for things that we mention in the show. And that was a really great opportunity. And, and you might have a chance to speak with Carl on his show, Into the Garden, again. Right, I hope so. Should be great. I'm very excited to have had that opportunity. Let's shift to our subject of the day, Chicago. We're going to try to feature some other cities. But this came up because you were there recently to do some work. We really love, of course, you've heard us talk about New York before because we've lived there. And now uh, we have our office in Houston. So we're often chatting about Texas and Texas plants. But Chicago is a really great city, especially if you're into gardens. I think of Chicago, I think of food. (laughs) It's a food city too. I've only been once and it was it was the middle of January, which was a little bit of a shock because I was still living in California at the time and not well acquainted with winter and certainly not a Chicago winter. But I do remember the Chicago style hot dogs, the pizza. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's what you do in January is eat that really mm-hmm. nice warming food. Um, yeah, there's lots of I mean, there's a history of immigration you know, like around the world. But Chicago is a rich sense of immigrant neighborhoods and food culture mm-hmm. and there's a landscape culture, oh, yeah. garden culture. It's like a, it's a special city. There's a, it's a civic spaces are important to Chicagoans. I think that's the term Chicagoans. <laughs> <laughs> We're open to suggestions. I know folks from Chicago are very proud of their city. It's, you know, yeah. one of those greats. And so if we misspeak, feel free to reach out to us, connect at kinggardeninc.com or through one of our social media pages. And we will make the correction. <laughs> right. I'm definitely not a Chicago expert yes, by any means, yes. but I'm an enthusiast. An enthusiast. Yes. It's nice to share the love of places we've traveled to. So you have a little bit of information on the history of Chicago. Is that right? All right. Let's see what we got here. As far as American cities go, it's not, it's not that that old. You know, I mean, there's unlike the, on the East Coast, there's some cities that go back from like the 1500s, 1600s. Now that was before the United States. So Chicago, it goes back to the... Like, like the 1800s. And so like the first date that jumps out to me, 1868, Lincoln Park Zoological Gardens. So, I mean, even you know, that's like, like around the time of the Civil War. So the, these, I think that's sort of in Chicago's DNA is creating beautiful civic outdoor spaces. And the architecture is, of course, very prominent. The average Chicago person I meet knows about architecture as an enthusiast. It's not a rarefied. It's on a lake. Or, or yeah. you, we should really place it. It's, yes, because we do have listeners all over the world, so right. some may not have been to Chicago. Right, so Chicago, it's in the Midwest. Now, it's it's a funny thing. People from the West, they think of Chicago is in the East. Yes, so if you're I on can the East attest Coast, to that. <laughs> if you look at a map, I mean, it's it's about a third of the way from the East Coast. It's not in the middle of the country. That would really be like... I mean, like Nebraska, Kansas City, it's about the middle. But when we're talking, of course, about the, the dates during which it was sort of established, I mean, they were just getting rail transportation to kind of bridge that gap between East and West. And I'm sure the lakes were an important avenue for transportation. And so it would have felt far from New York. And yet mm-hmm. it would have been an important kind of trading, I suppose, trading and transportation hub to then get out to the rest of the country. Am I right that it's at the northern end of the Mississippi River? Oh, right. I believe so. And so you have the north-south access and then the east-west access with trains and by connecting the the Great Lakes through canals and whatnot. Right. Yeah. And I mean, the scale, like I grew up, you know, right near Lake Ontario in New York State. In that term, the Great Lakes, that they're inland seas. They are so large, like hundreds of miles long and not necessarily hundreds of miles wide, but they're but you cannot see across them. So that's a, that Chicago landscape 
the Great Plains. So it's relatively flat. It's on this great lake that you cannot see across. So it's, it has a coastal mm-hmm. feel. Mm-hmm. I guess it is a coast. It's an inland coast. And so that sort of sets the stage for the parks and the gardens. And they do tend to have an open feel to them. There's Millennium Park. That's a recent park. In the north of Chicago, the Botanic Garden. There's Jackson Park, Lincoln Park. So when the, when the landscape's relatively flat, the architectural elements within these civic spaces is important. So sculpture, pergolas, trellises, bridges, buildings are all quite beautiful and lovely. So that really becomes when the landscape pretty flat and the vistas, it's open. That's sort of the theme I would say that runs through all the civic spaces, that there's very nice architectural elements. Well, and a theme that stands out here in Houston, which is flat, relatively flat, is when there's the parks have, have an element of land shaping. Uh, There's gra- a word for that. Uh, grading. Grading. <laughs> <laughs> shaping is good too. <laughs> Not the landscape expert on this side of the microphone over here. One of the key figures in the history of Chicago landscape architecture, American landscape architecture, you might even guess already that I'm talking about Frederick Law Olmsted, is a big proponent of this sort of shaping. Oh, right. And that that shaping, even if it's just a little berm or something in a flat landscape, it it creates a great sense of movement and interest. And we're going to talk a little bit about Olmsted's contribution to that region. But I think what you're saying about the statues and the sculpture and bridges is true of the landform itself. Right. Yeah, the grading we've seen here in Texas where that park, Willow Fork Park, we went to recently. That's a pretty recent park. I think the firm was TBG, which is a, like a landscape architecture firm in Texas. And it's like, what a contrast when, it's, when there's beautiful grading done and paths and water. It doesn't have to be that dramatic. So Olmsted was in Carl Vox. That was, he was really, a, Vox was a prominent architect from England, came to the United States. Olmsted was got the superintendent's job, I think it was at Central Park. So he was not, no training, but he, he was, Olmsted was, was quite worldly. He had spent a lot of time in Europe. He and his brother, I think, travel a lot. So he was seeing the pastoral landscape of Europe, which is this, a constructed design landscape where lots of use of shade trees and then open green spaces where there's a vista. And so that is brought to Chicago, you know, via Olmsted's getting on a ship and being spending time in Europe. (laughs) Yeah, you see it in Central Park as well. And um, I think one of the interesting moments of his biography to me is always his participation as there's an official title. He was working for the U.S. Army uh, or government in the role of heading sanitation during the Civil War. And so his ability to, if you think about moving land in the 1800s, even the late 1800s, when you had steam shovels and things, Mm -hmm. it still would have required great mobilization of people. And maybe that's why you have these civic spaces, because you have this sort of democratic society now that has a great number of workers. And Chicago was like a very working city Mm -hmm. uh, with factories and the meat packing plants and whatnot. You mobilize large groups of people to kind of create a shared space. Right. I think that's very true about Olmsted. When you read the history of some of these large civic spaces that he was in, and there's a pretty recent biography that was very good that I read. Can't remember the, the, the author offhand, but if we can fit, find it, we'll go ahead and add it to the show It's notes. like in the last, I got it for a yeah. holiday present. Oh yeah, I, I remember that. Always nice to do. So Olmsted, you think of him, 
Warren Manning to Contras that was also designing large civic spaces throughout the United States. And he did some actually on, there are some college campuses and estates on the North Shore of Chicago that I know Warren Manning did. So Manning was very detail-oriented. He would do a plan. It would show the grading, that the type of geology, the type of plants. Olmsted, I think, uh, painted with a, bit, with a broader brush. The scope of his work was, was massive, too. He was great at mobilizing people. And you hear about stories of Central Park where there were, on a given day, there might have been 1,500 people that were standing there like waiting for instructions. And Olmsted was, was a dynamic figure. To accomplish. So that's how these very massive civic spaces require a lot of, like you said, supervision. Mm-hmm. And it is like a military operation. So there is a, a moment in Chicago history that even I have heard of as well versed in Chicago history, but that's the Great Chicago Fire. Oh, right. That's like 1871. Mm-hmm. And with all due respect to the number of lives lost and property, and I'm sure sheer terror that people felt during this incredible conflagration. It did, as it does, I, I suppose in nature, there's like a clearing when fires come through, an invitation for renewal, despite the lives lost. So that was what year? Do you know? Uh, 1871, the World's Columbian Exposition, which was Burnham, Olmsted, like the World's Fair, basically. That came up 1893. And of course, and <laughs> I'm sure this is true for some other folks out there. The Great book, Devil in the White City, Ooh, if yeah. you're into true crime, is obviously a classic. And then there's this parallel story of the development of the Columbian, World Columbian Exposition mm-hmm. and the amazing grounds and the use of electricity to, to light it up. It sort of runs side by side. And uh, so that was perhaps one of the first books I read that was really Chicago-centric and kind of introduced me to the city. And actually, in terms of landscape design, introduced me to Frederick Law Olmsted. I think mm-hmm. I read it several years ago now. So I have a question. The area that is that was the park grounds that they used, is that still, can you visit that? Oh, yeah, great point. So that was part of Burnham and Olmsted, the plan that the, the World Exposition, it would become a civic space forever. So some of the, the white city, these white buildings for the expo were... I think almost all of them were removed, or many of them were removed. So Jackson Park, which is right on the water, so that is, as I understand it, like the core of what was the exposition. That was an Olmsted design landscape. And in his biography, they talk about just the, they were planting it rapidly for instant effect. So it was quite an undertaking. I mean, they were planting it to look like within months, like it had been there for a long time. And there's even photos of the core feature is this lagoon with an island which has quite a romantic, you know, fantasy element to it. And that was, I think for the visitors, that was maybe the most, if I recall correctly, that was one of the most visited part of the park, this Lagoon Island. You mentioned Millennium Park. Where is that in relation to Jackson Park? So that is up the coast. So this Jackson Park is on the coast. Uh, Millennium Park is pretty close to the center of the city. And that's also very close to the coast. And so as I'm looking on, on the map here, you have Olmsted was well known for these parkways or greenways that, cr- that connected one green space to another. So you take for granted a parkway now is it's a road with lined by trees, but that was an innovation that, that didn't, there was a time where that didn't exist. So you have Jackson Park is linked with a parkway called Midway Pliance Park, and that connects Washington Park. And the Millennium Park 
is up a little ways. And the Chicago waterfront is, you can run, bike all along it. And similar to Central Park, the, the connection of spaces is so important. In many cities, you can't get to the water because there's a highway. So in Chicago, it's, it's relatively accessible because of islands or other areas along the coast, which are great destinations where you, that, that have somewhat of a wild feel. And you can look back on the city, which is a nice experience. Neat. Which is New York City, you don't really have that. The city is ringed by roads. The parks occasionally are, are hugging the coast, but you, you have to really leave New York City, go to Staten Island or Brooklyn to have that perspective looking back. Or Hoboken. Let's not leave New Jersey oh, out oh, of that's there. right. Great. The great <laughs> Some New Jersey great coast. views, yes, from the New Jersey side of things. So shout out to Jersey. There's a community there uh, near Chicago. I don't quite know, you know, sometimes there are separate towns that are kind of you an outsider would say it's a part of greater chicago but oh, it's right. like uh so no disrespect but it's riverside is that correct oh right that's and I, when, I, when i was there i went to visit some firms and had some work in chicago i made a point to visit riverside so that's if i recall correctly it's one of the first designed planned communities so people i mean that the term is subdivision now it doesn't necessarily have great connotations so like oh it's a, just a subdivision <laughs> But at one point, that was an innovative plan. Designed by Frederick Long. Correct. So almost had designed okay. that. So that's pretty close. And when I landed at the airport, it was very close. I think I probably landed at Midway. And so that was ex- very exciting to visit. Similar to the parks he's designed, this, the roadways are curvilinear. So you have a sense. So you can't see too far. So you're in a space. Uh, even the, the traffic islands were beautiful where you have, imagine all these roads curving, there's sort of negative space left over. And so instead of that just being more asphalt, that was a green space with trees. So the houses, there were many sizes of houses. So you could tell, you know, it was, it was a community. It was diverse economically. It wasn't just big houses and it wasn't just small houses. That really, there was a diversity. It was cohesive. There was the, the palette of, of trees was very diverse. And there were I would say it was common to see there were probably more than 100 species of trees that, you, that I could readily identify, which is pretty rare. And when, you, when trees do a tree inventory in many major U.S. cities, there's like about three or four species that are commonly used. So to see Kentucky coffee tree and Zelkova and Yellowwood, I'd like to see like a real diversity. So that was a neat experience. Great. So for those who are visiting, maybe uh, get outside the downtown area and check out Riverside. For another Olmstead perspective, not just a park, but an, an entire planned community. Right. And if you travel even further, I think it's just pretty much further west, there's the Morton Arboretum. Oh, nice. And so that was the salt baron, more or less. Morton salt, when it rains, it pours. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was a, a tree enthusiast. And I believe, I don't know if he was the initiator of Arbor Day, but he was, he was an incredible tree enthusiast. And so he was definitely part of the founding of Arbor Day. So the Morton Arboretum does very important research mm-hmm. in the, they were doing a project in Mexico on oaks. I remember we mentioned. Oh, right. You had, yeah. So that's an exciting, it's open to the public. There's a prairie, which they burn periodically, which is like wow. a natural fire is like a natural part of a prairie's ecosystem. And yeah. Great plant collection, well-programmed. It's quite expansive too, that you, you really, you could walk many, many miles there. It's a, it's a lo- pretty large campus and all kinds of great events. Sounds lovely. And for professionals, 
I imagine they'd have there'd be events for certified arborists for landscape architects. I, my guess is that there'd be continuing education for, for professionals and for enthusiasts there. Any other landscape features or great parks or anything else that you you want to mention here that folks might want to check out? Of course, oh. we'll, we'll try to provide links and photos and any other travel guide information. For you know, a new Chicago. exciting park that was in American Society of Landscape Architects journal, which I read about in the last maybe year or so, the Chicago River. They have redeveloped that as it runs in like pretty close to it, it running into the into the lake. So that was the, that firm was Sasaki that's out of Boston. And so they did, it was very innovative. It's not a green lush park. Remember I, I posted some pictures and someone said it looks sort of austere, so, but it's very programmed. So it's, the river is below the street level. And so you travel by ramps or steps. It's all handicap accessible. And there are, what was very neat is that there's it's a little like the Seine in Paris where you have you, to go down the, the steps to get to the river level, but. You're right. It has that, it's a very similar feel. The, the bridges, the historic bridges are very beautiful. This new Chicago River Walk, there are four separate sort of zones or programmed areas. So one was for water sports. So it could be kayaking, other types of boating. It's very publicly accessible. There's a, an area for fishing. So people, you know, urban fishing is, is popular. And some people, I mean, that's how they're I don't know if those fish would be edible or not, but some people, they're feeding themselves. In New York City, if there's a phenomenon of people, you know, that's their food source. There's an area with, with aquatic plants. So there are these, it's an island which is attached to the shore and it has aquatic plants that, that help filter the water. Now, we mentioned with the San Antonio River Walk that there mm-hmm. are waterfalls that help aerate essentially the water. Did you oh, right. observe any like moving water, water you features know, to yeah. tie into last episode? Yeah, great point though. You know, I was there, I had a, some business meetings. So I was there in the morning between meetings. It was in the summer and there were caregivers, mothers, fathers with their children. And there was, it was a, a, like a splash area. So there was water emanating from the ground and then goes back into the ground. And there's one section where it's an amphitheater. And there are, I think there might be honey locust trees that are planted. So it's, it's a steep slope with seating where you could have many hundreds of people. There could be a, a programmed event, a concert or something. So that was quite striking. And there's very innovatively, there's a handicap accessible ramp that travels through this very steep amphitheater, which is it's almost imperceptible. So that, you know, really democratic, there's something called universal design, which is goes even beyond American Disabilities Act. So it's really designed where it's accessible to as many people as possible. And it's, it's really imperceptible. It's so beautifully done. It doesn't scream, oh, this is for a certain you know, handicap. Mm, that's really beautiful. So accessibility is, is key. This open civic spaces, inviting people in, that's really wonderful. And it sounds like a very inviting part of this great city that to come and enjoy these these beautiful parks. Well, and anything else we should cover before we wrap up today? Well, in the the Chicago Botanic Garden, that's north of the city. Mm-hmm. And some of the great landscape architecture on these estates, these Robert Barron estates, which are more or less on the north side, which go quite a, quite far, you know, from the city. So there's a great history of landscape architecture. Some of those estates, most of them have been subdivided. And so there's, there's now Warren Manning worked on one, which became a college campus. And there were, there are, are ravines which run east-west more or less. 
and then travel into the into the Great Lake. So the so the North Shore, a lot of beautiful. Of course, you have Frank Lloyd Wright, Oak Park. There are certain neighborhoods where his work is very prominent. Jens Jensen, prominent Chicago landscape architect, and then the mayor Daly. He was really spearheaded the use of these great civic space. All these he was a proponent of creating them and having a mandate for green roofs for new buildings. And he was helped spearhead uh, building Millennium Park. And so at Millennium Park, you really have Gustafsson, her firm, great, you know, overall master planning. I think Frank Gehry is the architect. So you have like world-class landscape architecture, architecture. Then Pete Udolf, who, who did the, the perennial garden sections. What's so special about that is on the biggest scale, Chicago works. And then as you get down to this very small scale, it's still beautifully done. It's very, very thoughtful. And it's it, the result of a collaboration of many, many people. That's great. What a great way to honor a great city. We welcome, if you have a garden city that you'd like us to feature, we love the concept of traveling to visit gardens. That's actually how we spend our vacations most of the time, <laughs> to be honest. And, uh, we just like, uh, wind up in a garden. Like, how did we get in a garden again? I know, I know. <laughs> so it's, it's great if you'd like to plan your travel around some of these great gardens. We, we can't recommend it enough. It's a wonderful experience and a great way to get to know a city in a different way beyond the restaurants and museums and right. you just kind of get out there in the landscape. So feel free to shoot us a message. Lots of ways to connect with us. KingGardenInc.com forward slash in dash the dash landscape. We hope you enjoyed listening. We were really excited if any of you heard Charles on the radio program Into the Garden with Carl, Carl Moulter and are a new listener out of, the, of his listening area. Welcome. And uh, we look forward to more great topics in the future. And we have some, we're doing some writing. There's the mm-hmm. European Box of Topiary Society. And so we're going to be getting those things out on the World Wide Web also. Excellent. So you can read more from us as well coming up soon. So we'll, we'll be sure to share everything with everybody as stuff emerges. And we're just so grateful that you're listening and um, look forward to our next episode. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye.